Whoa. Hey, there we go. Uh, that was yeah, my youngest, Joel, uh, who said that, that can we go now. Yesterday, he did one of the uh, kind of cutest and most heart kind of wrenching things. He went up. We had a really long day traveling. As Rachel said, we were at the Four Square Retreat. So, like, kids in cars all day, even though they're just sitting there doing nothing, there's something about you still get exhausted in cars. So, very emotional. And uh, Joel has a teddy bear that he calls his Gaga bear because when he was younger, he would call our oldest Gunner Gaga. And it was Gunner's bear, but he gave it to Joel. So, it's forever the Gaga bear. And he takes it with him everywhere. And with tears in his eyes, came up to Gina and just said, when I'm in heaven, will Gaga be there with me? Just like, it's like, think, sobbing. Like things that Bible college don't prepare you for. They, those answers to those types of questions. You know what I mean? But I, I, love, uh, I, lo- I love being around. Obviously, we have young kids. I love having kids around. Because they always say the things that we're thinking inwardly, right? Um, how many of you, when I've ever been preaching and I dismiss you, can finally say, is it time for us to go? Are we, can we go? <laughs> never, never, never. Well, we are continuing on on our series on the character of God. Uh, we're now in our second to last of our roundtable sermons. So uh, we're going to do this, and then we'll do it one more week uh, as we continue on. And we're looking at five attributes, five different characteristics that God himself uh, ascribes to himself. And it's a passage that we're reading out of Exodus 34, the first time that God describes his character uh, to us. So we'll go ahead and read the verse here. And it says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, Uh, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We spent the last two weeks talking about what it means that God is slow to anger and talking about God's anger. And last week, uh, I talked about that one, and I had, for all you women at the women's retreat, you missed an awesome, awesome uh, object lesson that I did. I took, I had a huge thing full of Legos, and I dumped them out on the podium here and talked about to to the biblical authors what God's wrath looks like is the chaos of life of world, almost as if you have Legos out on on a table, and God will take different pieces of those Legos and begin to build something beautiful together. And that when we are in the kingdom of God, it's like us being in that order, And that ultimately, God's wrath or his anger looks like him allowing us to walk from the order of God into the chaos. It's a really different, interesting way of looking at it. And when I was at my table uh, last week, I talked about a story uh, that I think illustrates this that happened. It was with Genevieve uh, Vivi our daughter, when she was about one or two. We lived in Colorado at the time, and this is a big, kind of a big shift for us as parents, and especially Gina, who was there, is that she was playing in a sandbox that was outside. 
and it, it stayed outside all the time. So you know, like it's kind of dirty and it gets weather in it and you never really know if there's cats around or anything else. But you know, kids love it and playing with sand and she was digging with a little shovel, like barely even able to hold onto the shovel and you saw her get an idea that flashed across her mind. Like, I know what I can do with this thing of sand. I bet this tastes really good. <laughs> and begin to kind of look up at Gina and begin to put it near her mouth and Gina was close enough in that moment to just slap it out of the hand because you know, you know, is there going to be like a cat turd in this thing or like what? <laughs> like you never really know what's there, but it was a moment that Gina said, you know what? I'm going to let you go ahead and eat that sand. I'm going to go ahead and let you live in the consequence of that decision. So of course, eat it, have the first second or two of like, this is amazing. And then the face turn to having a mouthful of sand, like without teeth, all in your gums and just trying to spit it out and it was just horrible. Uh, but it was, it was that, that lesson. And I just was talking about how I think that's very similar that what the biblical authors, when they talk about God's wrath and his anger, it's us choosing to do something. And in that moment, God allows us to play out that consequence. He's like, I don't think you should do that, but go ahead. And that the judgment of God ultimately looks like us living the consequences of our own actions that we decide and choose to do. But the great part about Yahweh of God is that he is slow to anger, that he will give us chance after chance after chance after chance. He may slap that sand away from us 50 times, and then finally he'll say, all right, I will give you over to the decisions that you have made. Well, today we're looking at the next one, when you look at it here on the verse, it's the one that says abounding in love. There's certain words that are very difficult for us to define. You ever have that where you're trying to describe maybe a concept or idea or a feeling, but you just don't simply have the right language to put to it? Um, that happens for us all the time. Like, for instance, if I were to say, how would you describe something where you know that you feel like you've done this very same thing before? It's like, I feel like I'm living and I've already done this before. Anyone think of the word of how we describe that? Deja vu, right? Is it Groundhog Day? Exactly. <laughs> well, we have the, the word deja vu. It's not even an English word. There's no word in English that really describes that sense, that feeling that we've done it before. So we have to borrow another word from another language, right? And it's that way with biblical words as well. And that's the word that we're going to be taking a look today. In the Hebrew, we're taking a look at a word, a Hebrew word, chesed. Everyone say chesed. chesed. Got to get that that. Guttural sound. A lot of times you'll see this transliterated with an H-E-S-E-D, but the K in there kind of gives that feeling of chesed. So you have this word chesed that we're going to be looking at today. It is so difficult for us to translate this word and what it means for God to be abounding in love, as the NIV uh, describes it. So we're going to take some time talking about this word and what it means and how amazing this characteristic of God is. In fact, if you look at this, I spent some time and I looked up this one Bible verse in Exodus, and I went through these different translations and how they all translated this word, and every single one of the translations that I looked up did it differently. 
So in the NIV, it's translated abounding in love. King James, long-suffering. New King James, abounding in goodness. NASV, abounding in faithfulness. ESV, abounding in steadfast love. And the New Living is unfailing love. Every single one that I looked at translated it differently. And anytime you see this, if you're ever reading God's word or maybe you're in a passage and somebody's speaking in a small group or a sermon and you have almost like a different word in there, that's like a red flag. It's a signal to us like something here is going on, right? There's some type of, some type of something going on in the text that's hard for us to understand. It's that signal here that we're looking at. It's a clue. So what I want to do uh, today is I actually want to play a video on this. I've done videos um, of, from this group before. It's from a place called The Bible Project. And they talk about this word in all the different areas. It's like I, after I was wrestling with this word and studying, and I found this video, and rather than trying for me just to copy it uh, and say it, we'll go ahead and play it. It's about four or five minutes, and this will help us introduce this theme of this, uh, what this word chesed means. If you tried to describe what God is like, it could be difficult or daunting. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently described God's character in this way. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. We're going to look at this fourth phrase, loyal love. It translates the Hebrew word chesed, which is hard to translate into any language because it combines the ideas of love, generosity, and enduring commitment all into one. Chesed describes an act of promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care. Like in the story of Ruth, Ruth is a foreigner married to an Israelite man, but tragically her husband dies along with his brother and his father. All Ruth has left is her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi, who has nothing to give her. Naomi tells Ruth she should go back to her people, but instead, Ruth promises to stay by Naomi's side and take care of her. And as other people watch Ruth keep this promise over time, they call it an act of chesed. Notice that Ruth's chesed is not conditional or based on Naomi's worth. Rather, it's an expression of Ruth's character. She just is a generous and loving person who keeps her word. That's chesed. Now, Ruth's loyal love is truly inspiring, but the one who shows the most enduring chesed in the Bible is God. Like in the story about Jacob, who is a treacherous liar even to his own family. But despite that, God chooses him and repeats the promise he made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, that he would have a huge family through whom God would restore his blessings to nations. And so 20 years later, when Jacob realizes how undeserving he is, he says to God, I'm not worthy of all the chesed you've shown me. And he's right. But God's chesed was never about Jacob's worth in the first place. It's a display of God's generous loyalty to his promise. God's chesed continues into the story of Jacob's descendants, the Israelites. When they're enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt, we're told that God remembered his promise to Abraham and Jacob, so God defeats Egypt and raises up Moses to liberate the people and lead them into the promised land. And in the story, this is called an act of chesed because it was about God keeping his word. Now, on their way to the promised land, the Israelites are scared of the nations around them and they doubt that God can protect them. 
So the people threatened to kill Moses and appoint a new leader to take them back to Egypt. God is understandably hurt and angry, but Moses steps in and says, forgive the sin of these people because of your great chesed. Notice that Moses asked God to forgive, not because the people deserve it, but because it's consistent with God's own character. And God agrees, and he recommits himself to a people that don't want to be committed to him. In the Bible, God is loyal and loving for no other reason than it's just who God is. Of course he wants his people to respond with chesed in return, but even when they don't, God's chesed remains. The prophet Hosea compared Israel's chesed to a morning mist that's here one moment and gone the next. But God's chesed is enduring. Like in the celebration of Psalm 136 that opens by saying, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, and then 26 times repeats, His chesed is forever. And so, after centuries of Israel betraying their commitment to God, and after humanity's long history of violence and death, God still kept his promise in a dramatic and drastic way by becoming human and binding himself to us in the person of Jesus. And the people who followed Jesus of Nazareth said that in him they encountered the God of Israel who is full of loyal love and faithfulness. Jesus is the ultimate loyal and loving human. And in his life, death, and resurrection, God opened up a new future for all of us and for all of creation. And God did this because it's just who God is, generous, loving, and eternally loyal to his promises. And when we experience the purity and power of God's loyal love shown through Jesus, it compels us to reimagine why and how we can show chesed back to God and to the people around us. This is what it means to say that God is overflowing I love those. I love those videos. There's just something fascinating about them. Sometimes I find myself just watching them over and over again, and how they put that. I I really liked how they they talked about how God's chesed is based on who He is, not the recipients of His chesed. And even when we try to do it, it's like our chesed is like the morning mist, right? So many times I'll drive into work here and get here and you can't even see the other end of the field. And then 10, 15 minutes later, after I'm here, I'll, you know, walk to go, you know, go to the bathroom or do something else in the office. And I'll walk by the window that's right here and I'll just see that it's bright and clear. I'm like, what the heck happened? For like 15, 20 minutes. That's the same way. And I think that's one reason why it's so hard for us to understand God's chesed. Because when we look at the way that we do it, we... Do it sometimes, but not always the way that we should or we want to. But yet when God does it, it's perfect. So when I was thinking about a way to drive this home, uh, you see these concepts, these three different, um, where you have love, generosity, and also loyalty. I thought of like a Venn diagram. You know what a Venn diagram is? So I made one of these here to help us understand kind of the meanings of these words and what it looks like. So when you think of the term chesed, 
you have three different elements, and the video was kind of described by those three different stars that were around the whole time, that there's elements of generosity, there's elements of love, and elements of loyalty all together in this word hesed. But let's say, for instance, that you have, let's say you're very generous, and you have lots of love towards somebody, but you're not very loyal. You can maybe describe somebody who's very passionate, um, somebody who is very fleeting in their love. So I put here like inconsistent. What my mind goes to here is maybe like teenagers in love, right? Somebody who's very fleeting. You could be very generous. You get, you know, people or young people who are very much in love in a very new relationship. You can be very generous. You can honestly love somebody, but then it's there one week and then the next week it's not there. It's something that is fleeting. But what Chesed does is it also includes that loyalty, or, for instance, let's say you have generosity and loyalty here, but you don't have love. I wrote up there a professional relationship, right? Almost as if this relationship is contractual. It's like, well, I said I would go ahead and do this. I'm a person of my word, so I'm generous. I'll give you something, and I'm loyal to it, but yet the love isn't there. I think of like maybe like a nurse or somebody who goes or a doctor, somebody in that kind of professional relationship that I have. I'll go ahead and do this, but I'm not motivated by love. I'm motivated by my word or this contract that I said of what I do. Hey, I'm a doctor. I took an oath to do no harm. So that's what's going to go ahead and motivate me. And then if maybe you have elements of loyalty and love, I put unsacrificial. This, to me, is like a picture of maybe if I were in, uh, on a, you know, at home and Gina's in the kitchen making something, and all of a sudden, you just hear like something break, like a dish break or whatever else. And there's glass everywhere and, you know, food, dinner's ruined. If I were to get up and walk to her and Gina's like, can you just help me real quick? Dinner's ruined. Can you help me? If I were to look to her and just say, I'm here for you and I love you. And then walk over, get my water and walk immediately back out again and not willing to be generous right? It's this, well, I'm willing to love you, but I'm not willing to really sacrifice for you. I'm not really willing, or maybe somebody who I think of like a, a bump on a log, right, in a relationship. Like, hey, I do love you, and I am loyal. I'm not going anywhere, but I'm not willing to give up my own desires for you. So we see this term kind of in this English word for love. It can be displayed many different ways, but you have this space in the middle, chesed, where you see elements of all three. I think the, the best example in my mind that made it easy for me to understand chesed is when you hear a story of like an elderly couple, somebody who's been married for 50 or 60 years, and you have you know, a, one of the spouses, let's say the woman who gets diagnosed with a horrible disease, can no longer take care of herself. And then you have the husband who decides that I'm going to be your caretaker. And you see a relationship change from loving partners to where one person just caretakes. They give up their desires, give up everything. You see, it's more than just a contract. It's not a professional relationship. This isn't a nurse caring for somebody who's sick. You see elements of loyalty, but it's not just loyalty. It's love, but also mixed with generosity. You can see that spouse say, hey, I love you, but I'll just write a check, and I'll 
give, let somebody else go ahead and take care of you. You see this element of this chesed that's there. And I love this picture because I think it illustrates how God is for us. That you see element of love, but he's also generous and he's loyal and faithful to it. He doesn't interact with us solely based on the contract, just because he, he said he was going to do it. But instead, he's also moved with love. In fact, the story that we read where... You see the scripture verse in Exodus where God describes himself. It happens where in the middle of God's chosen people deciding to worship an idol, a golden calf, in the middle of this covenant bonding ceremony. And God in that moment says, you know what I'll go ahead and do? I'm going to go ahead and pour out my wrath on them. We'll go ahead and see what happens, right? Again, the idea of God's anger. We'll let the golden calf go ahead and be the one that saves the Israelites, just this big lump of gold, right? But in, and God says, I'm going to move on from them. And Moses, I'm just going to go ahead and make a new covenant with you. But Moses, when he pleads, he asks him to remember his chesed, that it has nothing to do with who we are as people, because we can never hold up that end of the bargain, but instead it's who you are. Meditating on this verse, even just this past week, has also changed some of how I pray. We've had some people in our congregation who are hurting, have issues, and even as I've prayed for people before, it's a, it's a small nuance difference, but I'll say, God, I pray for this person, and I pray that you heal them, not because of who they are, not because of what they've done. I pray that you heal them because that's who you are. And God, when you pray for, if I pray for me and say, God, would you do this not because I'm a pastor, not because, you know, I do all this stuff, not because all this, but it's just simply because it's who you said you are. I think when we understand what chesed truly means, like in the video, it allows us to be better agents of chesed out to everyone. So right now, we'll go ahead and move into our roundtable time and where we'll get a chance to have some space to talk about this and what exactly this means for all of us.